that said, if you'd open up your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 4 with a message entitled, Father Abraham Had Many Sons. <laughs> We're not going to sing it, don't start, but you'll definitely remember the title. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, well, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was in the third chapter of Romans that the Apostle Paul introduced one of the most wonderful doctrines in all of Scripture, the doctrine of justification. To be justified means just as if you never sinned. It's as if it never happened. At times, the enemy, our own conscience perhaps, might bring back the past and haunt us. We're reminded on occasion of who we were before Christ, but how liberating and freeing it is to remember who we are in Christ, that we are justified. Although we are fallen and sinful without hope of saving ourselves, God provided a way by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to rise again from the dead. And now, now we have this new and living way that has been opened up for us into a relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements that the law demanded that we could never fulfill. He alone was the spotless, perfect Lamb of God who took our place. All of the wrath that should have been poured out upon us was poured out upon Him. And through His act of sacrificial love, mercy, and grace, we now can be justified, declared righteous by placing our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. Jesus provided justification by the act of redemption, becoming our propitiation so that we could have salvation. And it's because of this wonderful doctrine and this marvelous truth that Paul declared all boasting is excluded. No one can boast concerning earning their salvation. The only thing we can boast in is the work of Christ on our behalf. Nevertheless, as wonderful as this truth, this doctrine of justification is, there were those who didn't understand it and could not accept it. They would read the words of this epistle and they would think to themselves, this is too good to be true, so it must not be true. Some saw this doctrine that Paul presented as radical. For others, they would think it was heretical. Objectors would challenge Paul. They would say, Paul, you said that the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament scriptures, referred to justification by faith. Well, show us where it says that. Because when we look at the Old Testament, all we see is the law of Moses. All we see is the sacrificial system. All we see is the command for the rite of circumcision. Show us where it speaks of this justification by faith. We challenge you. Paul accepts the challenge, and with biblical and historical accuracy, he devotes the entire fourth chapter of Romans to a flesh and blood example to prove that justification is indeed by faith. 
He looks at the example of Father Abraham. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament, you probably are aware of the fact that Abraham was an important figure to the Jewish people. He was their founding father. He's the patriarch of the nation of Israel. Back in Genesis, God had made promises to bless Abraham, to give him descendants without number. The Lord promised all the nations of the earth would be blessed as a result of Abraham and that his descendants would be given the land of Israel forever. It was for this reason that the Jews prided themselves in being connected to Father Abraham. I point that out to say that when Paul speaks about Abraham, he is sharing on a level that every Jewish person understood. Also, by focusing upon Abraham, Paul would clear up the false teaching that had been attached to him. The false teaching about Abraham was taught by some of the rabbis in their rabbinical writings. They said things like this. Abraham performed the whole law before it was ever written. They said that Abraham was perfect in all of his deeds. Apparently, they had not read the book of Genesis. Abraham had no need of repentance. The Jews believed and insisted that it was because of Abraham's works that he was chosen and blessed. In other words, when the Jews looked at the record of Genesis and retold the story of Abraham, they felt that justification came by faithfulness, not by faith. Therefore, all the emphasis would be placed upon the work of man instead of the work of God. So it is with that backdrop, that background, that Paul will go to the scriptures to prove that Abraham, the father of faith, entered into a relationship with God, not because of the works that he performed, but because he believed by faith in the promises of God. And therefore, the first part of the chapter, it talks about how was Abraham made righteous. Paul goes on to talk about when was Abraham made righteous and then why was Abraham made righteous. First of all, how was it that Abraham was justified or made righteous in the sight of God? He tells us here in verse 1, What then shall we say then about Abraham our father, has found according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, as the Jews suggested, then he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. So the Apostle Paul asks the question, How was Abraham made righteous? How did he enter into a covenant relationship with God? What did he do by means of human effort to achieve that? Paul answers, if Abraham was made righteous by what he did, then he'd be able to boast. And this is an extremely important point because if Abraham could be justified by his works that he had done, then it would also be true for his descendants as well. So that's the question. Now Paul answers the question. If you look at verse 3, this is really important. He says to the question, what does the scripture say? That's really the issue. Not what the rabbis were teaching, not what they were thinking in their minds, but here, here it is. What does the Bible say about this? Let's look at what scripture says, because either that's the standard or it isn't. What does the Bible have to say? And I want to pause for a moment and say this is extremely important to ask this question, because we live in a world that has an opinion and a perspective on any particular subject. But as believers, we should be saying to ourselves, what does the Bible say about that? What does Scripture have to say about that? 
That may be a person's personal preference or their choice in a matter. But what does the Bible say about that? This may be acceptable culturally. It may be applauded by those who are worldly. But, but what does the Bible say? That might temporarily take away your pain. But what does the Bible say about doing that? She might be beautiful, you say. He might be handsome. Uh, what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible have to say? These are the questions that the church needs to ask, ask themselves and answer. Some churches might be jumping on some bandwagon. Great. What does the Bible have to say about what they're doing? Can we validate it biblically? We need to go to the scriptures. We need to know what the word of God says. We're often prone to consider, what does my neighbor think? What does the media say? What is the world's opinion on the subject? What does my friend think? But our standard where we need to look as God's people is to God's word. I love what R.A. Torrey said. He said, quote, don't come to the Bible to find out what you can make it mean, but to find out what God intended it to mean. Paul challenges his readers, look at the scriptures, look at the word, and what does the scriptures reveal? He tells us what it reveals. He says, Abraham believed in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The biblical record clearly states in Genesis that Abraham believed God. Not Abraham worked for God and God said, great job, Abe, you're righteous. No, he didn't work for anything. It was all God. How do I know that? Let me take you back to Genesis for a moment. Genesis chapter 11, what happens? Abraham is 75 years old. He's dwelling in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. It is an idolatrous place. His father, whose name was Terah, was also an idolater. The Lord in some way appeared to Abraham, said, I want you to leave your family and your country and go to a place that I will show you. The Bible says by faith, Abraham left, went out not knowing where he was going. The problem is he only partially obeyed. He left his country, but he brought with him his idolatrous father. And rather than going into Canaan, he stopped in a place called Haran. And while he was there for that season, he was basically marking time. Nothing was really happening. God wasn't speaking. It wasn't until Terah, his father, died that Abraham picked up and kept on going. And as his journey continued, there came a point when you come to Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, by this time, his nephew, you know his name, Lot, got into trouble, started hanging around the people in Sodom, got carried away captive and everything that he owned. And Abraham sought the Lord and said, Lord, I, should I rescue my nephew Lot? And the Lord said, go for it. I'm going to deliver them. 318 men from Abraham's household took on four kings and won the battle, rescued everybody, brought them back. Abraham's sitting now before God after this deliverance, and God speaks to him, and he says this to him, Abraham, I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Abraham responded and said, Lord, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? Then he brought him outside, told him to try to count the stars because that would be the number of his descendants. Now keep in mind, God said this to Abraham when he had no children. Abraham, you're going to have more descendants than you could number. All right, Lord. What would Abraham do? You know what the Bible says in Genesis 15, verse 6? It says at that moment when God made that promise, look at this, Abraham believed in the Lord and the Lord accounted it unto him for righteousness. Did you catch that? What did Abraham do? Believed. And what happened when he believed? 
God accounted, the word is credited, put into his account righteousness. Not because of what Abraham did, but because Abraham believed in the promise that God had made. He didn't work for it, in other words. He believed it, and God justified him. That's the point that Paul is going to make, that Abraham was declared righteous before he did any work for God, and he was declared righteous by believing in God, and it was accounted to him, credited to him. Folks, listen, it's the same way for us today. God declares that you can be righteous not by your works, not by the things that you've done. It's by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus has done. That is the beauty of Christianity. Religion says man needs to attempt in his best effort to try to reach out to a holy God through various means, by works or by keeping some moral code that he's unable to fully keep. But Christianity, listen carefully, is God reaching down to fallen man in the midst of his sinful depravity with a nail-pierced hand, taking hold of that person, bringing them out of the sin that they're drowning in and redeeming their life by his grace. What did we do? We just by faith said, God, rescue me, and he did it. It's all him. It's a work of his grace. That's how you're saved, friend. We didn't do it. Jesus did it. Without Jesus, we would not be saved. This is what Abraham experienced. He believed God, and God said, Abraham, because you believed, you're declared righteous. It was credited to him. It was all God's grace, and the same is true for us. Paul illustrates this even further. He says in verse 4, now to him who works. The wages, they're not counted as grace, but a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Listen, this is a very practical, relevant illustration. Paul says it in this way. Imagine God is the employer and we are the employees. If somehow we could earn salvation, then that would mean God would have to write us a check because we earned it. When you go to work and you clock in and you work those eight hours or whatever hours it is that you work, your boss, your employer owes you. It's In one way, it's saying he's or she is indebted to you. Why? Because you earned it. You deserve it. You have it coming. You worked for it. It's yours. They're indebted to you until they pay you. So what Paul is saying here, if Abraham was pronounced righteous because of what he did, then that would mean that God owed him, that somehow he had earned it, and therefore he would have something to boast in because he worked for it. The same way an employer would write a check to an employee. He earned it. Paul is saying if the sinner could earn their salvation by good works, then God would be indebted to man to give him salvation, which would mean that man has no reason to thank God for his salvation because man did it. Secondly, it would mean Jesus' death was pointless. There is no reason for Jesus to leave glory, come and be clothed in the flesh of man and his incarnation, die a horrible death, have the wrath of God poured out on him if somehow we could get to heaven on our own. Who needs the cross if we can do it ourselves? The fact is we couldn't do it ourselves. That is why Jesus came. God's not going to be a debtor to any person. If anybody owes anybody anything, we owe God everything. It was all him. Sometimes we develop this thinking 
in our walk with the Lord that we want to try and earn God's favor either before salvation or even after salvation. Let me give you an example. You know, Lord, I prayed a whole bunch this week. I spent a lot of time seeking you. I'm pretty sure I, I got something coming, a blessing, you know. <laughs> Lord, I went to church twice this week, and I'm pretty sure that uh, that counts for something. As if God had one of those, you know, when you're a little kid, you have these, these, these charts, you know, these gold stars you get. If you're really good, Johnny, you're going to get something after you do this. Oh, you t- okay, I'm taking that star away. You blew it. And it's if God's just kind of mapping it out. And finally, I got the big star. So that means I get rewarded by God. Look at all that I've done. And somehow we try to earn God's favor when we don't realize we already have it. We already have it. That's what grace is. How many of you have ever experienced, don't raise your hand, I know that it's true. I, 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 have you ever been blessed when you knew you didn't deserve it? Pretty much all the time. But, but, but I mean, really, when you knew you got blessed and you weren't what you thought, you, you weren't what you were supposed to be, you were not kind, you, were not, you weren't walking in the spirit, you were in the flesh, and God blessed you, and you knew in that moment, boy, that was definitely grace. Can I just, here's a newsflash for all of us, it's always grace. It's always him. He does it because he loves us, not because we can earn it, but because he loves us and he loves to bless. Paul says here, but to him who does not work for it, to earn it, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his belief is accounted to him for righteousness the same way it was for Abraham. You'll note the word accounted or imputed. It's said, I think, some 35 times in the New Testament, 19 times in Romans, 11 times in this chapter. It's very important. And it always speaks of what God does, not what we do. This is what God does. He accounts it to us because of his grace. So I haven't started looking at Abraham. Paul uses now another prominent example from the Old Testament. His name was David. Now, I want you to think about this. The reason why, and make note of this, Paul uses Abraham as an example of being justified by faith is because, check this out, Abraham was justified by faith, by believing in God, 430 years before the law was ever given to Moses. Before the law ever was given, Abraham was already justified. How? By faith. By faith. Keep that in mind. Now, he uses another example, this time of David, who was justified after the law was given. Notice what it says in verse 6. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute iniquity or sin. Paul quotes from the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man that God said was a man after his own heart. But if you studied through the life of David or you're with us on Wednesday nights going through David's life, you know that although he was a man after God's own heart, he's still at the heart of a man. He still struggled. He still failed. In fact, at one point in David's life, he broke three of God's 10 commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He then committed adultery and then murder. Listen, folks, under the law, there was no atonement for his sin. The penalty for those sins was death. What's David going to do? Now the law has been presented. He is guilty. What does he do? He cries out to God by faith for forgiveness and mercy. 
It was in Psalm 51. You remember he wrote this, against you, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. In, in verses 16 and 17 of the same chapter, he goes on to say, you don't delight in sacrifice or else I would bring it. You don't, you don't take pleasure in, in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. In other words, what David is saying, there weren't enough sacrifices that could be offered to cover his sin. He deserved death according to the law. So what's he gonna do? He cries out to God for forgiveness. And what does the scripture say? It says God forgave him. Yes, there were consequences to his sin, but he was forgiven. Was it because of the work that he did? There wasn't any work he could do. All that he could do was believe. And that is why Paul now quotes from Psalm 32 that we just read, blessed is the man or to those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. When did David write that? After his sins were forgiven. How did he know his sins were forgiven? How was he justified? Faith. Abraham was justified by faith, by believing, 430 years before the law was given. David, who sinned horribly against God, was justified by faith after the law was given. They're both justified by faith, which means we also are justified by faith in the same way that they are. Not because of anything they did, but because of who God is and what he promised. He forgave them. He justified them, accounted it to them as righteousness. That's the point that Paul's making. But here's another question. Almost through. Listen to this. Here's the next question that Paul was having to confront. Is this salvation... Is this justification, is it just for the Jews only or is it also for the Gentiles? Is it for everybody or just a select group of people? That's the question now that Paul is going to answer because for the Jews, they felt, they're the chosen people. They felt like it's for them. The Gentiles, no way. Someone has to keep hell burning. That's what they thought about the Gentiles. I mean, it's a terrible thing, but I mean, these guys, are, they're not chosen. Is salvation for them? Look what Paul says, verse 9. This is the question. Does this blessedness, the word blessedness refers to salvation, justification, these doctrines he's presented, salvation. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised? That's a reference to the Jews. Only or to the uncircumcised? That's the Gentiles also. We say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Is salvation just for the circumcised? That is the Jew. Or is it also for the uncircumcised, the Gentile? Who's it for? The Jewish objector, reading what Paul had written, responds and says, all right, Paul, let's just suppose for the sake of argument that what you say about Father Abraham, about the fact that it was his faith that brought him into a right relationship with God, what about the outward physical mark of circumcision that God required upon Abraham and all of his descendants? Why? Would God ask this of Abraham and his descendants if all he had to do was simply believe in God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness? Answer us that question, Paul. Now, in order to understand this, listen carefully. This whole aspect of circumcision was the sign and the seal that God gave to his people of the covenant. That is why on the eighth day, all male children were to be circumcised in remembrance of this covenant. That was their part. For the woman, as it related to the covenant, her whole objective, her desire in life was to have children. 
That was their goal. That was their desire because that would help ensure that the covenant could be carried on. But for the males, they would be marked by God in a sense. And as time went on, this outward medical procedure of circumcision became just a ritual. In fact, some of the Jewish writings took this sign and symbol the wrong way. They said things like this. They believed that the act of circumcision was necessary for salvation. And observance to this act would decide whether or not you were saved. They went a step further. They believed that no circumcised man would ever see hell. It became an outward mark of God's favor. So it's with all these beliefs, these misconceptions that were ingrained in Judaism, when, when some Jews began to get saved and then there were Gentiles getting saved in the early church, there was a division among them. Because the Jewish people couldn't understand, how could Gentiles be saved? They're not circumcised. They don't keep the Levitical law. I mean, this can't be right. That is why Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts went down to Jerusalem, met with Peter, James, and John and they, at the Jerusalem council, and they decided amongst themselves what was necessary for Gentiles. They took a letter saying, listen, great news. You don't have to go through the medical procedure. You can come by faith. Just stay away from idols and don't eat anything that, you know, it's been strangled with blood just for the sake of the Jewish people. And they felt so free at that moment, but there was a division. That is why in Paul's epistles, guys, when you read Galatians, when you read Philippians, you will find him contending for the faith. He will be talking about the Gentiles not be coming under this burden any longer or being in bondage as these, this group would go around called the Judaizers and they would come to these new Gentile converts and they would say, listen, it's great that you heard Paul's message. Listen, he left out some things. You need to be circumcised if you want to get to heaven. You need, in other words, to become a Jew. And if you don't, we just want to tell you, you're not making it. Paul said, stand fast in the liberty you have. Don't give them a second. Don't give them a pulpit. Don't give them a platform. Don't listen to what they're saying. That is not true. You're justified by faith through the work of Christ. It's not Jesus plus anything that saves you. It's Jesus, period. That is why Paul now asks the question, and this, this right here, it's where Paul just, this is the haymaker right here. Paul presented the question, is salvation for the Jew or is it also for the Gentile? What does he do? He goes back to Scripture to answer the question as proof. Look at what it says in verse 10. This is awesome. As it relates to Abraham, how then was it accounted, that is to Abraham, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? He answers it, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe. Pause there. Say, what are we talking about? I'm going to explain it for you right here. The question is, when was Abraham declared righteous? We know that he was declared righteous before the law was given, 430 years before. How was he declared righteous? By the work that he did? Nope, by believing in the promise of God. We've established that fact. But here's something else you need to understand. In Genesis chapter 15, the biblical record clearly states that Abraham was not only declared righteous because of his belief in God, but listen to this, it was before he ever went through the outward physical sign of circumcision. How, how, how long before? 14 years before. 14 years before he was declared righteous by faith. It wasn't until 14 years later. You come to Genesis chapter 17. Abraham is now 99 years old. 
he and his wife couldn't have a child, and so he decided to have a child through a little gal named Hagar they picked up in Egypt, and that was a mess, a work of the flesh, Ishmael. But at 99, the Lord said, Abraham, it's time to mark your descendants. At 99, he and his entire household was circumcised. 14 years after the fact that he had been declared righteous. You say, why is that so significant? Here it is. If Abraham was declared righteous 430 years before the law was given, and if Abraham was declared righteous and justified by faith 14 years before he was circumcised, what would he have been if he was uncircumcised, justified by faith? You ready? A Gentile. Do you understand? He wasn't even a Hebrew yet as it relates to the mark physically. He would have been a Gentile, justified by faith. And then later on, 14 years later, he goes through the procedure. He's the father of the Jewish nation, still justified by faith. The whole point that Paul is, is, is bringing to the attention of those that is reading this epistle is simply this. He was justified by faith. He didn't do anything to earn it. It wasn't the physical mark. It wasn't the keeping of the law. It was all before that. It was all a work of God's grace. Do you understand? It's like in one paragraph, Paul just shatters all of the misconceptions, all of the wrong thinking. You say, well, what does this have to do with me, pastor? I'm going to go back to work. People can say, hey, you went to church this weekend. What did you guys talk about? Circumcision on Father's Day? What, you, what was that about? People are going to ask you that question. What is the significance of that? I want to help you understand the significance of that. By the way, if they ask you and you say that, people will definitely listen to what you have to say. But here's what I want to tell you. The whole emphasis here, this whole notion of an outward act applies to us today because there are countless numbers of people who are trusting in some other form of religious ceremony or activity or service to make them right in the sight of God. And they're under a delusion they're under a delusion that's leading them to hell. If you think today that you're getting to heaven because of what you've done, or you're a good person, or you do this or you do that, I want to say this with absolute humility and grace, you're not saved. If you think that you're getting to heaven because of what you've done, because of the works that you've done, or because you've attended a church, or, or anything else other than Christ, you are not saved. You need to make your calling and election sure today. There are countless work-centered cults all around us. You see them pedaling from one place to the next, knocking on your front door, trying to earn their way into heaven. And let me say this concerning them. A lot of them do more for a lie than we do for the truth. Shame on us. But the fact is they're lost. There are other people today who are trusting in various sacraments as a means of salvation or attending a church. Some are even trusting in the false teaching that original sin can be taken away when you are baptized as an infant. My question is, what does Scripture say? Scripture doesn't say that. What Scripture says is the only thing that can wash away our sins is the blood of Jesus. We are justified by faith. We believe. We didn't work for it. We believed it. And when we believed it, it was accounted unto us for righteousness, the same way it was for Abraham before the law, the same way it was for David after the law. It's by faith. Amen? They had always believed that just because they were Jewish, they automatically were beneficiaries of God's blessing. 
immune from judgment. So Paul drives home this point in perfect biblical reasoning that the way to a right relationship with God is not belonging to a particular denomination, nor through any ordinance or a mark on someone's body, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, God placed salvation outside of our ability. It was outside of us. We we couldn't do anything. God made it that way. But then he provided the way, the only way, whereby we could be saved through Christ. It's not on man's achievement, but it's solely by the grace of God. I want to conclude this morning by reading the lyrics of a hymn that has always meant so much to me, especially as it relates to my salvation in Christ. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who to him death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free. For, oh my God, it found out me. And this part always gets me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you today for the reminder, for the clear, concise, biblical revelation of justification by faith. The work is done, Lord. You did it. And when Jesus declared it was finished, he meant it. And today, God, we rest in it. Thank you, Lord, that the work is done. Lord, you don't bless us because we deserve it. You bless us because you love us. Thank you for that grace, Lord. Thank you for that mercy. Lord, let us just rest in that, Lord. Abound in that, Lord. That all-sufficient grace. Lord, if there are any here this morning who perhaps have been living under that delusion that because of what they've done or where they've been, or how they've served, or what they've given, that somehow that merits salvation. Lord, I pray that as Paul wrote this letter, that, Lord, you would strip away those things. Lord, reveal to them that it's only through Jesus, only through Christ. And I would encourage you today, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if that's you, 
Maybe you've had some misunderstanding. You've known about Jesus, but you've never truly known him. You've been religious, but you don't have a relationship with him. Someone would ask if you're a Christian, you'd say that you were, but it seems that it's inconsistent with your life. Today, I would encourage you just to humble yourself and say, Jesus, save me. I repent of my sin. And he promises that he will save you. Change your life now and forever. And you'll be justified by faith. Just as if you never sinned. <laughs> so we thank you, Lord. Again, a special blessing on all the fathers today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with us this morning? Man, Romans just keeps getting better. At least from my perspective. I mean, you just go deeper into it and you think, man, Lord, this is heavy. That's awesome. Pray you're encouraged today. If you need prayer for anything going on in your life, I'd encourage you after the service, come forward. There'll be pastors and leaders up front that would love to pray for you. If not, may you enjoy a wonderful day and in the Lord and that you grow in the grace and the knowledge of him this week. Rest in it, man. He did it. It's finished. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Let's close in a chorus. God bless you.